everyone. Welcome to the Chorus in the Chaos podcast. My name is Jack, and I am joined today by a very special guest, a very good friend of mine, long friend of mine, uh, Mr. Ross Turner. So Ross and I, uh, we went to church together for a number of years here in Tulsa, uh, remain good friends, and he is also a very avid uh, YouTuber um, and uh, also an avid Presbyterian. And I invited him to sit here with me. So if you've Listen to kind of the middle of this uh, podcast series we had. We I did a mini-series on the doctrine and practice of infant baptism, a little bit of a, a summary and defense of, like, why why do we do what we do? And um, coming out of that, I had a number of questions that would show up in the comments, and I decided to put together this episode, which is a kind of cute list, listener's question. So here's a summary of listener's questions that came up, and then uh, maybe a couple will add a couple frequently asked questions at the end. Um, so again, this is... Kind of a and, and a follow up episode to that four part mini series. And again, I've asked Ross to be here with me. So Ross, um, I know you as Ross. Other people might know you as the nerdy pastor. Um, yeah. So maybe you want to take a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. Um, thanks for having me, Jack. And um, yeah, uh, Jack and I go back a number of years. Um, uh, both uh, many many uh, group times together. Was um, leader of my community group when I was back at a church in Tulsa and. I've remained friends um, really the last seven or eight years, and it's just been a, a blessing to to uh, get to see your ministry on the course of the chaos and uh, just to participate that from afar. But now to to, to support you and, and to partner with you a little bit with this video today, anything else in the future. But yeah, my, my ministry is essentially I'm a teaching elder in the, in the PCA, and um, I'm someone who has been uh, in active ministry for um, nearly 12 years now. And um, you know, I'm 40 years old, um, fourth kid on the way. Uh, I call myself the nerdy pastor because um, I like to be more practically minded if I can. But, you know, the reality is I fall back into um, uh, um, looking at my books more often than looking to Christ. <laughs> so there's always those issues. Um, but I just I love uh, that channel. I try to do a little bit of uh, book reviews, a little bit of book studies and devotionals. And if I, I dabble in pop culture as well. And it brings in a, a strange mixture of, of audience uh, because of that. So. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my, my ministry. I'm a senior pastor here at a church out in Southeast Virginia in the PCA Tidewater Presbytery and have served also in Hills and Plains Presbytery and also North Texas Presbytery in the PCA. And so, uh, yeah, I'm really glad to be with you and talk a little bit about this intramural discussion with um, uh, Baptists and other uh, evangelicals. And uh, I used to be one of you all, so I understand uh, the difficulties of, of these questions. Yeah. 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 Good introduction. Okay, well, let's jump into it. So I've got... I tried to compile all the questions. I hope I didn't miss any, uh, but I've got eight or nine questions here. So question number one, this one actually comes from Blake, who does the podcast with me. He sent me this this uh, message in uh, uh, in Messenger. So this one wasn't in the comments. So if someone goes back yeah. to Facebook, in the comments, you won't find it. But he sent it to me in, mess in Messenger. And essentially the question was, he had a real, I'll add, he had a really long question. It was like he told yeah. this entire story. So I'm summing it up. Uh, but essentially, would there be a benefit to baptizing the infant of someone else's family. So if you've got uh, a friend or a brother and they have a baby, if you covertly snuck in there, I guess, and uh, or were watching them for like a week or, or a period of time, you decided to baptize them, what, what would be the benefit? So kind of an interesting scenario question, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess in my, my short answer, it, there, there would not be much of a benefit to that. Um, uh, because it's out of order, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so it's an out of order kind of baptism and, uh, it doesn't follow the covenant line of, 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 of parent to child. 
so therefore, it's, it's a connection biologically between parent and child. It's not just someone else doing a baptism. Right. Uh, so it has to be connected to the, the biological pedigree of faith. So that's the, the external element of the covenant that yeah. we want to emphasize there. So it would be an, it would, in, in two ways, it would be not following the lineage of faith externally. Secondly, it would, it would not be in order. So, yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I, and that was kind of the answer I gave to him in short order is, yeah. you know, if, if we understand that the that that baptism is the sign of the covenant, you're thinking about it, this idea of a covenantal family, yeah. a familial unit. Right. Um, when when you look at these at these examples in Acts, someone professes faith, they're baptized and then their household. This would be someone outside the household. So they would be, yes. you know, yes. be out of that now. If they came to live with with you for a long period of time, if they became, if you adopted them, if um, if you raised them, I can see that being a different situation. Yeah, I don't know what the, yeah. I don't I don't think there's there's like a fine line there of well, if they're in your house for six weeks, it counts. You know, there's nothing like that. But but generally yeah. speaking, I, I think it would need to be understood that they would be in the household, and then uh, yes. and then the, and then the the covenantal reality would begin to take place. Yeah, yeah, that's a great answer, Jack. I think. People understanding that, again, baptism is not this kind of isolated reality. It's connected to a much larger context, which is what your your videos communicated to people. I think, um, you know, the last three or four you did um, are talking about that, that it's it's connected to a covenantal structure. And the, the family itself is a substructure within that grand structure. So baptism is not taking place outside of that, but within within that. Yeah, very yep. good. Okay, question number two. This one comes from a friend of the podcast, a longtime friend of the podcast, Mr. David McIntyre. And uh, and this is a pretty common question. If, if someone hadn't, if he hadn't proposed this, and I would have put this one in kind of the FAQ question. Mm -hmm. I think it comes up a lot. Why was the sign for Israel only applied to select members being males, right? Circumcision only to males. But now for the church, should only be applied universally. How does it go to all infants in the visible covenant? So I think the question, the the crux of the question, the Old Testament, mm -hmm. it was the sign was only applied to males. If infant baptism is true, why is that not a parallel? Why is it now to everyone? And I, I'll, I'll jump in here quickly and see what you say, yeah. Ross. But I, I would say the answer is the new covenant is a better covenant. It's a more expansive covenant. It's a broader covenant. It's it is not restrictive. It is wide open in that sense. And it just yeah. goes to show the greatness of what Christ has done and how he's opened up and completed for us. I think that'd be my short answer is that we see this ex as the covenant kind of in a parallel as we see the covenant expand and salvation go outside of the nation of Israel to the world. In a similar sense, we see it multiplied out outside of males into everybody. Yeah, it's a fantastic answer, Jack. It's an answer I'd echo. I think it's essentially what's called the historic salutis, the, the history of salvation. So it's not the order salutis, which is the kind of the uh, the scheme of salvation or or how the chain of it connects um, individually to somebody, but also the historic salutis is how, uh, in a sense, salvation is while while the substance is always Christ, the span and the the scope of it is clearly enlarged as the new covenant comes in Jesus into the day of Pentecost and the application of salvation to all kinds of people, to all kinds of nations. And this is what we're seeing at the end of the Gospels, especially in the book of Acts. And again, so it's not just expanding to women, as, as, as important as that is, it's expanding to all nations as well and all kinds of people, Gentiles especially in that. So it's, a, it's, it's kind of mirroring the universality of the Gospels kind of yeah. scope in the sense of its reach always been by grace through faith in the promised Messiah, but yet it was through one nation and through a kind of a federal headship, primarily through uh, 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 heads of families and through males. But then you see also with the, the scope of the covenant 
you also see the sign of the covenant yep. growing as well there. Yep. Yep. So it's a mirroring of that. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of a very classic text. So if anyone's listening to this, they'll probably know this text. But John three sixteen, for God so loved yeah. the world, right? And, and and we see in this in this in this declaration by Jesus that God loves the world. There's not just the Jewish people. It's not just the right. nation, but there is a love for the entire world. That's all right. Kinds of people in a similar sense. That's that's, that's right. Yeah, right. and we want to make sure that you know. And just to add in, that's why a key verse for Christianity is Galatians three twenty eight. There's not a male nor female. This idea of this this there you go. this yeah. incorporation of both sexes in the sense of equality, in the sense of of scope in the covenant. So it, it mirrors that in the new covenant. Yeah. Yep. yep. Very good. Okay. This one uh, was kind of I'll, I'll state it, but I feel like. I'm trying to think of how to say this. Maybe, maybe the way I would answer this is to say go back and listen to the first podcast because it's such a broad mm -hmm. question. I think I tried mm -hmm. to cover this in it, so maybe maybe go back and listen to it. This one comes from Jedediah uh, States, if I got his last name right. But how do you see the continuity of the old new covenant playing into your stance? I mean, I'd say completely. Um, and it's it's really hard to sum up beyond that in a short fashion because that is what the whole position is built upon. It's just, it's the yeah. continuity of the covenants and the interlocking of the plan of salvation flowing from one into the other. So, I mean, how do I see that playing into my stance? I mean, significantly, I mean, significantly yeah. without yeah. that, the, the, the position falls apart because that is what it's built upon. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's part of the substructure and, and the overall structure of how to read the Bible. And we would say correctly, Okay. Yeah. Um, the reading of the scripture plays into how we understand the sign and seal of baptism. And we would simply say, hey, go, if you want to know exactly what we think, go read chapter seven of Calvin's Institutes, uh, his one volume, or go read, of course, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, and how the in interlocking of the covenants work together. And so we would simply state that while the Old and New Testaments are in some sense different, they're different administrations of the same covenant. That's yes. how we would express it. So the same covenant is being administered. So there's the continuity, but the difference is how it's being administered from shadows to substance, yeah. from pattern to fulfillment. And so we see that the underlying uh, strength of the, the reading of the Bible here is one of continuity. So it's one story, not kind of one story with another side story or two different stories, it's one story, and Jesus is really at the very beginning, not just toward the New Testament. Yeah. Yep. Amen. Uh, okay, so this, the, so the fourth, I guess maybe four and five here uh, questions come from Justin Indigo, and he, he, he phrased this as a rebuttal request. So, like, yeah. explain how you would respond to this. Yeah. Uh, first, first one, part, part question uh, 4A, or five, yeah, 4, whatever you want to call this first one. Circumcision was an act of the parents' obedience to an explicit command where such command is notably absent, uh, referring to baptism. The command for baptism specifically calls believers to be baptized. So he's saying circumcision, let me read it again. Circumcision was an act of the parents' obedience to an explicit command, where it was right. And then the command for baptism calls, uh, for, I'm sorry, the command for baptism specifically calls believers to be baptized. So the way I understand that is there's not a, I guess he's saying there's not a command in the New Testament to to do that, but there is one for the other. So we see a command for believers' mm -hmm. baptism in the New Testament. We don't yeah. see a command uh, for infant baptism in the New Testament. That's the way I understand it. And again, yeah. I, I'll, I'll say, I think it would go back to the question before it. It goes back to the continuity. So we do see a command for it. It just comes in the Old Testament. The, the command yeah. being the sign of the covenant should be given to children. 
Yep. So again, it goes back to that earlier question. How important is that? Is that continuity of the old and new incredibly? Because that's how we understand it. It's one story yep. and the promises in the old flow into the new. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's a simple answer. It's, it's one, it's how we read the Bible, the commands that are not taken away. They're no longer, they're not restricted in some sense or absolved in some sense. They continue. So, and when it says in Genesis, Genesis 17, to give the sign of the covenant to your children, um, all of them keep doing it. There's no command in the New Testament to take that away. But I think just from to answer it kind of more directly for him is that just because um, there's an emphasis to uh, from Acts 17 of, you know, now God everywhere commands all people to repent. Um, that doesn't change it to somehow it's just now individuals. Yeah. Um, I think that's a misreading of that. So there's always this fo focus on the family of God. That's really how to read the Bible, because that's how the Bible reads itself. The Bible is opening up a story of one line, a people yeah. of one line, one grand family. But when it starts to explode in the New Testament, it says, now everyone needs to repent. You shouldn't read that back into thinking somehow that means it's just everyone individually needs to make a decision for Christ. That's true, but that's complementary to the yeah. household of faith being the main way how it's come. So we don't need to compete right. those things against one another, the family versus the individual. No, right. Those are complementary. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think of uh, I think I quoted it in the podcast, but Mark in uh, Mark Jones's book Knowing Christ, he he, yeah. this, he basically says that if God were to repeal this command of giving the sign to children, that that's the weight of the that's the proof text that needs to be that's there right. for the argument. That's because, right, because you've got centuries upon centuries of established practice and clear commands in Scripture. God would have to come in and say, "We're stopping this, and now we're starting this." Right. For that to be unraveled, you would need that clear right. divine. That is the weight. Yes. That is the the proof text that's needed. That's the weight of the argument, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yes. Justin's second question here, uh, and he's referring uh, he's referring to something I said. So, and I'm and, and, and let me just read it, and then I'll come back up. So, if anyone doesn't remember, but he says your argument, being my argument, using Acts two thirty nine, seemed intentionally disingenuous. "Quote unquote," your children. There, there are in the same way those who are uh, the, the text says your children. They're in the same category. All who are far off. He put that in quotes. Yet I hear no argument being made that one should go about baptizing people afar off before their profession of faith. On top of that, both of these categories of individuals are qualified as being those who are called. Just as we cannot choose an adult to be called, we cannot choose our children to be called. So there, there's a lot there, and I, I tried to follow it. What I think he's saying is, and, and Ross, you feel free to, to comment here. I, what I think he's saying is in Acts 2.39, and you know, it says this promise is for you and your children and for all who are called far off, right? Essentially what it says. I think he, what he's saying is that I'm being disingenuous or not completely honest to the text because I'm separating your children from all who are far off. I think that's the way I understand his, his rebuttal yeah. request, right? And if that's the case, uh, and Justin, feel free to comment again if I didn't get that right. That's the way I think you're saying. I, I would say both are true, and I think there's some some commentary here about what's happening in the text because this is Pentecost. Peter is preaching specifically to Jews in that same text. Is you you men of Israel, whom this Jesus, whom you crucified, like he's specifically saying to them. And I think he's is he's announcing this new covenant, and he's. he's proclaiming this new covenant. He's saying, this promise is for your children, but not just you, all who are far off, all upon the whom the Lord calls unto himself. So again, it goes back to that point earlier, this expansion of the covenant. I think there's some context there that's relevant because he's 
He's not saying you're completely gone. He's saying this promise is for you and your children and all whom the Lord should call off or call call to Himself. I think that's how I would how I would respond to that. What are your thoughts, Ross? Yeah, I think that's a great way to respond to that. I, I think um, from what again, what the question is coming from is again this kind of either or approach. Yeah. The text is already saying this is the line, the lineage, the, the story, how it's already going, and. You know, we see what happens with the, the the Last Supper. We see what happens with Peter and being brought back in John 21. And then he gets up there with power and the spirit. And he, he preaches the gospel. And he gives, again, Historia Salutis. The sermon is not come to Christ. It's look how God has brought Christ to us. Now, God's proclaimed to be both Lord and Christ, Acts 2.38. They get pricked at the heart. That's circumcision, by the way, actually. Yep. They get pricked in the heart. See, there's inner circumcision, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Then they say, what shall we do? So the issue here is it's, the, con, it's the, con, um, the continuation of the same story going on there, but now unfolding in the New Testament. And then it's to who? The house of Israel that crucified Christ. So there's a need there to repent. So again, it's not saying now there's this other thing, you who are far off. Notice there's not a conjunction, but there's an addition. And you who are far off. Yeah. So it's, again, not a competition between this view and that view. It's a continuation and expansion now of saying you also who are far come along. And, and just to address one final thing there, the idea of calling is important to understand that calling is the history of salvation. Election and predestination go before that. So we need to remember that calling is salvation realized in history, but God's people are all one. Okay, so there's, a, there's an unfolding of the calling here. And it's not all in the exact same manner. There's an alongsideness here of Gentiles. There's also the, the there's some difference in parents and children in how they come to Christ by faith, right? So so we're not saying that it's all the exact same thing, but we are saying it's one great story, and these complementary pieces are being put together as the story unfolds grander and more universally. Yeah. 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 Well said. Much more elegant than me. Good job. That's why you're here. <laughs> I'm you trying to it. earn my key, Jack. Yeah, so. you nailed it. You nailed it. All right, question yeah. five. Yeah. Ross, let me ask you a yeah. question. Presbyterian's main defense for paedo-baptism is a parallel with circumcision, right? Wouldn't a more fitting parallel be that just as one came under the old covenant via physical birth, and then afterwards, of course, underwent the physical sign and rite of circumcision, one comes under the new covenant via spiritual birth, and yet afterwards would then undergo the spiritual sign and rite? being baptism. And that question comes from Mr. Stuart Smith. And uh, yeah, how would you respond to that? Well, um, I, I would say, first of all, there's a there's that heavy dispensational ideology kind of going on there, which again, I was a dispensationalist for 25 years. So I understand um, how to read the Bible in that way. We don't want to divorce the external and internal sign. We don't want to divorce external means from internal means that, that again, we almost create two Bibles from that. So we got to be very careful in kind of giving these ideas of, well, the circumcision was really only an external means. Was it? It seems like very clearly from the book of Deuteronomy that it's an internal reality as well there. there there's a circumcision of the heart that's demanded from through Moses in the second covenant in, in chapter 30, verse 6 and earlier. So it's not just an external covenant. It still pertains to an internal reality. Paul doesn't pick up internal reality suddenly in Romans chapter two when he says, you know, 
uh, only the one circumcised by the heart. No, he's continuing what's always been true. So these are not competing signs. They're different signs. But again, I'm going to keep using this term, historia salutis. The history mm -hmm. of salvation is developing here because the progress of Reve uh, Revelation is advancing. So again, we don't want to create two peoples of God, two different signs, two different stories because of some sacramental. The sacrament okay, of baptism and the Lord's Supper are attached and alongside the substance. So it's, it, it's the administration that changes, not the yeah. substance that changes. So it's always an internal reality, though the stress was put more on the external in the Old Testament, for mm -hmm. sure. But because of the indwellment of the Spirit, the coming of Pentecost, the crucifixion, resurrection of Christ, there becomes an inversion in the sense of two things, external to greater focus on internal, okay? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the, the, the realities are starting to shift, but then also the, in, the, the, um, the exclusivity now changes to almost a universality. So we see shifting happening in the Bible. Again, Historia Salutis, how the Bible should be read from cover to cover. It, it expands and grows, not in contradiction, but in complementary kind of uh, connection. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well said. You know, so, so there's something here you pointed out kind of the beginning of your statement there about uh, the, the significance of Israel being a spiritual thing. And, and we tend to think of this, right? I know a lot of people tend to think of this way. Well, Israel, Israel is a physical nation. What were they a physical nation for? Yeah. They were the physical nation of the people of God. They are fundamentally a spiritual entity. That's correct. Right? They were fundamentally a spiritual entity, and the sign of circumcision represents that. So we yes. you know, we, we tend to think of them, oh, this physical thing, and then we all of a sudden get real spiritual in the New Testament. No, they, they right. were the people of God. That's right. They were. And that, that were. overarching, yeah, that overarching promise that you're describing from beginning to end, we see it from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture. God is this promise of I will be your God and you will be my people. Yes. That that spiritual yes. reality is impregnated from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Yes. Yeah, so just to attack on again to that just for a moment, um, even Paul reads the Bible that way in Romans 7 when he talks about the law. He says the law is spiritual, you know, Romans 7, 12. Yeah. The law, it's not some external thing only. It's not some just covenant. There's also a spiritual reality that undergirds it. The same is true of everything in the old covenant. It, that's why we're trying to say there's one covenant of grace. There are different administrations, and of course, much of that falls off in the coming of Christ in the New Covenant. But there's still fundamentally one covenant because it is truly spiritual, not simply external. Otherwise, what we do, what happens dangerously here, and I would not um, um, tell say it to anybody that they're kind of uh, countenancing this of some kind, but liberal theologians read the Bible like that. They read the Bible as only external, and then Christianity is just this mystical internalization idea. So we got we need to remember that to read the Bible faithfully, there's always an internal substantive reality with the people of God. It's never just some kind of external thing. Um, you know, yeah. yeah, very good. Yeah. Okay, so this next question comes from Scotty Mink. And Scotty said, a friend pointed out how baptism was present in the Old Testament. What role would it have played in the Old, Old Testament covenant compared to circumcision? And then he goes on, is there a case for infant for an infant that was baptized as a sign of the covenant belonging like circumcision to also undergo a cradle baptism once a confession of faith is made? Or is baptism after salvation solely converts, but a child could also be baptized as a need, as and need uh, conversion as an adult? So a couple questions there. Um, 
I'll just jump out and say, I, you know, I, I often hear people talk about baptism in the Old Testament. I don't think there's like a clear teaching or explicit examples of this. I've, I've heard of, I've heard theologians comment that it was a practice of repentance in the, in ancient Israel. But I'm, unless I've missed it, and it's not beyond me, that could happen. I'm not aware of clear examples of this in Scripture where we can point to it and say, oh, this is exactly how baptism was used in the Old Testament. Yeah, um, there there isn't. There are ritual washings, and that's really clear in the Old Testament. We yeah. we think of uh, what uh, uh, was it um, Elisha that that, that uh, tells the man to go down and wash himself in the river, right? I mean, this right. idea there is ritual washings that that are clear. Even Jesus uses some of these kind of washing kind of ideas in his miracles. Mm-hmm. We think about that, and you know, think of Hebrews six. It says, "Let's not go back to this immaturity," right? And he includes what's immature, dead works. Faith toward God, instructions in washings, right? Yep. So there's a sense of there's there's a lot going on with with washings in the Old Testament, but never is it ordained to yep. be a sacramental sign of covenant. So it had a lot more to do with ritual ceremonial cleansing when it comes to how you live and move and have your being within the covenant community, but not as a member of some kind, not kind of some membership sign. So we don't want to elevate it beyond what it was. See, we elevate it once Jesus does. So yep. when Jesus says, baptize them, that's where we elevate it. So there's no elevation of it except for ceremonial cleansing, ritual washings in the Old Testament community. Yeah. 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 Well yeah. said. We do see examples in the New Testament of typology. Yes. Of baptism. You know, you know, uh, Paul talks about, or not Paul, Peter brings up several examples of this. Uh, I'm trying to think, was it in first Peter? Yeah. First Peter. Mm-hmm. First Peter three, um, about, yeah, th- three talking about Noah and his family going through the waters. Yeah, symbolizes you know the baptism, and we see, um, uh, what was it? Paul talks about in First Corinthians, Moses was baptized into, uh, they all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. That's right. First Corinthians by the Exodus, and so, so you see, yep. you see examples of this typology in the New Testament we're yes. referencing, and it's pulling in these examples of the of the Old Testament to bring clarity to what's happening in the New. Yes, but in the Old Testament, that's not a thing that was done sacramentally right so no then the other the other half of this question here is there a case for infant for an infant that was baptized as a sign of the covenant and then undergo cradle baptism once confession is made so take the scenario would one argue you're baptized an infant then you place faith are you baptized as an adult i think that's the question and uh, i would say unequivocally no if, if it was a valid trinitarian baptism as an infant there's no need to do that as an adult. I would say the baptism worked. It worked in a sacramental calling unto faith for the person, regardless of who administered it, because the promise is, is and that's a great thing about infant baptism. It is a, when a child baptizes their infant, even if the pastor be unworthy, even if the theology be not ideal, if it is done correctly, that is a Trinitarian baptism, it is a sacramental committing of, Lord, please save this child. Yeah. Right. And use this yeah. sign as a way to call them to faith throughout their life. Yeah. And therefore, then if they come to faith, I would say their baptism worked. Right. It, it, yeah. it, it completed. It called them to faith. It, it was effective in that way. Yeah. So, yeah. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, I think. is That's right. right. Yeah. So Ephesians 4, 5. I mean, it, it connects the, 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 the unity of the faith and, the, and the, the, the veracity of the baptism and the potency of it all. And again, this is, you know, it brings up that question that the, the two baptisms or multiple baptisms, it really in many ways brings up the, the, 
I, w- I don't want to overstate this. It just it shows the error is what I'm trying yeah. to say here. It, it shows a lot of error. The main error is that people think the baptism is about their actions. It's not about their actions. It's about God's action. It's what God is doing. That's why you call it a sacrament, not an ordinance. Yeah. It's a sacrament because it is God demonstrating. It's God acting, literally acting in a triune fashion for the salvation of his people. So that's why we don't do it again. He did it once for all. Yeah. So there's a one and done. I mean, we think of Romans 6 and 10. It says the death he died, the sin he died once for all. The life he now lives, he lives to God. There's a oneness and a completion of it. Baptism is tied to that because it's a sign of that. It's what Jesus has done once for all. So I think when you say multiple baptisms, it shows that it's somehow more to do with you than it is to God. And really, when we baptize, it's not just the atonement. It's regeneration and calling an election. So it's the Father's election. It's the Son's atonement. It's the Spirit's regeneration. It's the triune God is working. That's why we baptize in the name of yeah. all three persons. So yeah. it, ju- it just shows the fundamental error there that this is not an activity of man, but the receptivity of man and the activity of the saving work of God. And that's so important to understand the difference there. Yeah, well said. Well said. Okay, I, I really like this question. Another friend of the podcast, uh, Mr. Robert Matthews McDonald, he says, what credo Baptist argument is the most convincing to you? That's a fun question. Um, I would say the covenantal Baptist argument for the spirit, for kind of what the question alluded to earlier about this spiritual reality being taking precedent in the New Testament. I explained earlier why I can't go there because I think the spiritual reality of the Old Testament is there and you see the continuity thereof. Mm-hmm. But that idea, I would say, is the most convincing. And I see where Baptists, Reformed Baptists, really get hung up on that. Because um, you can, you can, I'd say it's inconsistent. I'd say it's very inconsistent. But you can have a covenantal framework and still apply that logic on the back end. Again, mm-hmm. I'd say it's inconsistent, but I can see mm-hmm. that. And I can appreciate that argument. I respect it. You know, this would be this would essentially be the London Baptist yes. um, confession argument, right? Uh, but to, to me, I would say that would be the most convincing is is that isolation of the spiritual reality. But again, for reasons that I explained in the podcast, I think episode four, if you missed that, I think we see this two tier kind of covenantal framework many places mm-hmm. in the New Testament. I mm-hmm. think we see the continuity of the old and the new, the spiritual reality of the old being flowing into the new. And there's a lot of reasons I can't go. Yes. Back. But I would yes. say that to me, that would be the most convincing if I were to isolate an argument. Yeah, I think before I answer that question and and and, and tag on to that, Jack, I, I think that the, Robert's name is very Presbyterian. I think he needs to become a Presbyterian. <laughs> I think he's almost there from what I can tell. Um, but but secondly, I mean, it's like a much more Presbyterian than mine ever would be. But uh, on a second tier, kind of the, to actually address the question, um, yeah, I think I'd agree with you, Jack. Is I think that the, the heavy emphasis on the internal realities and the invisibility of the church is is a very strong draw to the Baptist position um, that comes out of. And I, again, I, I don't want to overstate this, but again, we I never call someone a Reformed Baptist because that's a misnomer. Uh, more of a Reformation Baptist would be better, I think, there because to call yourself Reformed and, and, and not to do infant baptism is a little strange. Um, so, but yeah, I would say that that focus on the invisibility of the church, on the internal realities of the covenant. I think that's a very strong draw to then place the emphasis of the sacrament upon when those realities become aware to me yeah. in faith or repentance. So I think that is a strong pull. And I think 
the Bible sets it up to be that way. Yeah. I, I don't think that's just like, well, that's just something that, no, I think the Bible does stress that um, very much. So I do, do think that that's a strong argument for credo baptism. But again, what, like you said, what draws us back is to remember that it's one story and I'm a part of that story. It's not only my story. So yeah. I think there's too much emphasis on the my story there. Yeah. And not enough emphasis on the grand story of Christ and his church. Like you said, I will be your God. You will be my people. If it's just I'm your your child, then that that pulls me in strong there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very good. Um, I got a message, a private message from a gentleman, Matthew. I won't share his last name because he didn't. Okay. He sent it private message. So I won't share his last yeah. name. Yeah. He said two questions. The first one we've already kind of addressed is why is the covenantal sign uh, changed to include women where previously included men? Again, yeah. We address, we address that one. His second question uh, is a good one. What are your thoughts on pedo communion? To me, it seems many of the arguments in favor mm -hmm. of pedo baptism can be argued for communion. What's the difference if these children have been baptized into the covenant? Really good question. Really good question. Uh, so, Ross, I'm going to let you answer that one. Yeah, I think it, it's essentially just an error in the, in the other direction. Yeah, it, it's missing. It's misunderstanding the external realities of the church over. The internal realities. What we would say is that the internal realities are the substance. The external realities are the attachment or they're the confirmation or they're to be shown in a public way. So we don't want to over overemphasize the privatization of our faith um, at the expense of the publicity, the publicness of the faith. But then there's the other side. There's all these public pieces, but there's no private reality. So that's an overemphasizing on the public reality of faith that the child doesn't have. That we that, that hasn't become aware of this yet. So what we would say is that would actually swing the wrong direction, and it it misunderstands how the Bible wants there to be a "I will be your God, you will be my people." There's also a yes and amen that God desires from our lives. He wants us to take vows. Now it's thankfully not up to our vow to keep the covenant going, but He still wants us to say yes. So we think baptism, okay, is an engagement of such. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Lord's Supper is a marriage together of such absolutely. on our side, on yeah. our side. So I think that that idea of faith or repentance is absolutely important for us to come to our own realization of. Otherwise, you're really removing the integrity of it being a relationship there. Um, and I think this this falls into the air of the Roman Catholics. That's why most paid communion folks become Catholics eventually. Yeah, a lot of them do. Yeah, and I, yeah. that's a good point. I think I think you see you don't you don't whereas we're drawing circumcision we're drawing baptism from circumcision you don't really have this practice you, know, you could make an argument there's a Passover and things of this sort right mm -hmm. and that's where they would, they would lean on but Christ does substantially change what happens and that's a big difference he yes. institutes it. this is my body yes. this is my blood like there is a marriage supper of the lamb mm -hmm. reality picturesque typology happening in what's happening here. And there is a real presence of Christ in yes. communion with that. And that is, that is a purely spiritual uh, reality yes. for, for the bride, for the elect. So yes. yeah, I think there's, yes. there's some, there's some distinction there, but a great question. Very, very good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Okay. So we're down to kind of, so these last two questions uh, didn't come in, but I'm going to, I thought we would answer these Ross, just because I hear them a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and these are just common kind of FAQ, right? So we got a couple more and then we'll, we'll wrap up. So first one is how do baby dedications relate? And I hear this a lot. In fact, I see a lot of, I've had a lot of conversations with Baptists who will say, well, we don't baptize our babies. We do baby dedications and they tend to mm -hmm. have baby dedications with 
a diet Pepsi version of baptism. I don't know what you call it. Like it's like a lighter version. It's a softer yeah. version, but it's just, yeah. but, but infant baptism is essentially the same thing as a baby, baby dedication in mine. And, and, um, I would say they are not all related. Uh, there's baby dedication. Maybe you could make an argument that there's examples in the old Testament of children being dedicated to the Lord or something like that, but that would be, uh, secondary to anything that the covenant <laughs> is established that God established with Abraham. And, and I'll remind you, I mentioned this in the podcast, Moses, God threatened to kill Moses yeah, because he hadn't circumcised his children. Yeah, right? that is, four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. And when the covenant was given, yeah. God said, this is my covenant. He says, this is my covenant. You will circumcise like this is my covenant. So when God established it, there was a seriousness about it. There was a very yeah. yes. deep seriousness yeah. to what God yes. commanded. And I would argue in many ways that carries through to the New Testament. Certainly we're, mm -hmm. we're in, we're in an era, an age of grace. We're in an age of yes. um, forgiveness. You know, we're indwelt with the Holy spirit. It's certainly a different development as we said, mm -hmm. a better expansive covenant yes. as, as it's continued to grow. Um, and there's, there's so much more grace in that area. Yes. But at the same time, we can't just say, well, if we do a baby, de de baby dedication, it's the same thing. No, there is, a sacramental yeah. reality. Let me say it again: a sacramental spiritual reality to the practice and rite of baptism. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a challenging deal that 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 issue of baby dedication. The churches I grew up in, um, especially the uh, Baptist church I grew up in, they did that all the time. I think what it does is, un unfortunately, it, it there is no communal, really communal value to that. It's really a parent wishing this to happen in some sense and taking some, like I said, some kind of consecrated responsibility. But that's what baptism is already doing. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's redundant in that way. I think, secondly, it's, it's out of order, okay? The, the Lord has never consecrated that, like you just said, as a means of his covenant. That is not how he wants to do it. That's not how he has designed it. So we don't need to be replacing that with something else that kind of suits more our conscience, I think, there and our own will than the action of God that he says he will confer his grace through and in. So I think, again, to, to not be too strong against it, but to say this is out of order, it's kind of taking the job of God away from him and telling him that we will be the parent of this child in that, yeah. that kind of spiritual sense. And it confuses and convolutes what baptism is meant to do. It's not just to be some some individual faith thing it's also be a communal power of god committing himself to his people so i think it's kind of in a way being redundant it's also taking away the conferring of grace by, by god and it also i think confuses people what, what what the role is of the child and the family in the community it almost isolates the family in some sense so they try to make up for that but it really is a confusing deal yeah so uh, i i would strongly uh, advocate not to be doing that yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. You know, there's there's an and you, you alluded to this, but in a, in a way, a, a an infant baptism, there is a benefit for the child, yes, and that it calls the child to grace. A yes. baby dedication, if anything, it's just a benefit to the parent. Like it's that's it's, correct. It's, it's like it's it's an inverse. It's you're flipping all it the roles here, right? That's exactly it. Yeah, and yeah. then the so the second and this will be the last question, unless we think of any others here on the fly. But uh, do Presbyterians only focus on infant baptism? And I will say, yes, that is all, all that I know. That is not true. Um, a, a big misconception here is that, and maybe hence we're doing a whole series on it, right? But 
Um, I would say both are true. I'm a huge advocate of believers' baptism. I love believers' yes. baptism. It's just not believers yeah. only. That's baptism, right. Right. That's right. So I think this issue we tend to get stuck on it because it because it's a dividing point. It's a, it's a point of distinction, right, yeah. between between traditions. But at the same yes. time, I am all for believers' baptism. When I when I hear of a yes. of a of a brother in Christ. Um, Baptist, whomever, and you hear, oh, they, my my daughter professed faith and she's being baptized this week. Praise God, that's incredible! Like that is fantastic, right? Um, you hear an adult, you know, the Lord's saving him late in life, and he he commits his life to Christ and he's baptized in front of the church. Praise God, that's wonderful. Yes, it's not a question that we're against these things. Yes, the question is, okay, well, if if this new if this new convert is converted. Well, what about his family now going forward? Yeah. And that yeah. is that is the difference, right? That's the yeah. difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that we're talking about this question because I think it shows that it should expand beyond this into kind of where we do have lots of continuity with our other brothers and sisters in Christ that practice credo baptism. And I think the emphasis for us to say there's some corrections for us to consider ourselves, even in the preaching ministry as well, in the, the public ministry of the, of the church, to remember our, our fidelity with our brothers and sisters on adult believers' baptism, and also how we see playing out of baptizing infants into the public ministry of the, of the church, too. But yeah, I want to really um, uh, agree and lock arms with you, Jack, and, and our Baptist brothers and sisters, that the reality here is that we really want to celebrate that it's it's believers also that come. We we that that's why we're not Catholic. Okay, again, we're trying to say that it's not the sign itself that has the veracity in itself. It's the power of God's word and spirit and the substance of Christ in His atoning work. But it is the sign and seal God gave to it. So while the ordering you know might not be at the very beginning, but toward a later time in life, the timing is up to God. Yeah. So that's what we call the doctrine of providence. The timing of when God brings us to bear is upon the timing of God's sovereign work. However, that should never cancel out the familial line that God is tracking, kind of the main course that the Bible is tracking and bringing in alongside all kinds of people to participate in that one community. But I think that the one thing I'd bring up that, that I've heard from Baptists, I think is, are very correct. Um, is that when we practice infant baptism, sometimes it weakens our gospel ministry and our preaching ministry in the church. I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I think what you hear from Presbyterians most of the time are sermons on justification by faith alone. What you do not hear from Presbyterians most of the time are sermons on regeneration and sanctification. And we've got to make sure that we understand that those are part and parcel of what we should be doing regularly. And not overemphasizing justification and underemphasizing because we baptize the baby and right. just assume all of them are perfectly regenerated. Now, I, I do believe God confers that grace at some point in some time on most of his people baptized. I do at some point in some time. But at the same time, we don't want to underemphasize the call to repentance and the call to saving faith because we see so many people later in life getting baptized. So I, I kind of uh, really I like that corrective from Baptist brothers and sisters I've heard. And I absolutely agree with that. We want to, in a, in a way, I think in the preaching ministry of a Presbyterian church, sometimes I've joked about this. We want to sound like a Baptist. <laughs> we, we want to sound like a Baptist. We want to preach like a Baptist from time to time. Because if not, I think we're, we're, we're underselling what, what we're asked to do by yeah. the Lord, to call people to, to, to believe and repent. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very yeah. well said. Very well said. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Mr. Turner. 
Mr. Nerdy Pastor. Thank you so much for yeah. Thanks for having me, Jack. Hello, this, this is tell, fantastic. Tell, yeah, tell the tell anyone listening where they can find your your YouTube channel. Yeah, so just type in the Nerdy Pastor, and uh, I've got a picture of um, Bonhoeffer of all people on there. That's uh, kind of a fun, fun picture of him on there. Uh, lo- love a lot of his his ministry to um, to the underground church and such like that. But I started the, the channel a couple of years ago during COVID. I've been meaning to do it for five years, and I finally had the time to do it during COVID, and so I got it going. And you can find it on there. And, and essentially, what I try to do is give folks, I think, good sound theological reflection some books to, to resource people in their devotions, a few devotions here and there and some insights and some commentary on pop culture as well. Uh, but you'll have to, you'll have to be nerdy with me if you want to get it, get to be a part of that because I'm not very entertaining. So that's for sure. So <laughs> I would, yeah, that's my two cents. I would disagree. <laughs> uh, you, you've done some, some very entertaining stuff. So thanks Jack. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. This has been the chorus and the chaos. And uh, again, this is part five of four little little appendix episode to the little mini series we're doing on infant baptism uh thanks again ross this has been the course of the chaos absolutely Take care.